Hey everyone, welcome to the Austin and Steve Experiment. I'm your host, Steve Sales. We're going to talk a lot about the trade deadline today. It's a pretty crazy one. I was uh, sitting in my house after school and was just kind of waiting for the day to wind down. I didn't really know if there were going to be a ton of trades that happened. And there ended up being uh, a ton of crazy ones that were done through the end of the day. And it was kind of wild trying to keep track of them all. Um, it was kind of interesting because all of the, uh, or not all of them, but three of the top teams in the East, they all tried to load up and uh, get ready for what's going to be an awesome playoff race. I'm going to talk about later. Uh, the West really stayed pat. I mean, everyone made a trade except for the Hawks and the Warriors, but uh, the West, by and large, didn't really do anything to move the needle, and I think they're all just kind of accepting that Golden State's going to steamroll everybody, but the East is, uh, they're really clamoring to get killed by the Warriors in the finals, so it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, I think there were over, I think, 12 trades that went on by the end of the deadline, I'm not going to talk about all of them. Uh, obviously, some of them really aren't super noteworthy. And frankly, I don't have that much time. So I'm going to talk about five of the most significant ones. And I'm also going to talk about the Anthony Davis stuff for a little bit more, uh, even though I'm sure people are probably sick about hearing about Anthony Davis the whole time. But I'm going to start with that so we can get it over with and we're going to get into everything. So the Lakers did end up making a trade, just not the one everybody expected. And... Obviously, Reggie Bullock is a little bit worse than Anthony Davis. Um, so I'm going to start with the Anthony Davis stuff here. Um, so it, it's it's pretty clear after just seeing everything that went down and hearing all the rumors and trying to figure out what was true and what wasn't true. The fact of the matter was the Pelicans did not. They just didn't want to trade with the Lakers. I think they were kind of sick of LeBron and Rich Paul trying to uh, shape the league and try and bully the Pelicans into just forcing Anthony Davis over to them. And I think Dell Demps <clears throat> really doesn't have a ton of leverage in this situation right now, considering he might be gone relatively soon anyways. And the ownership is kind of a mess, but he just, he wasn't going to lie down and just give Anthony Davis away. And I think that's kind of reflected in the fact that they made the Lakers, they would have made the Lakers give up pretty much everything they had other than Josh Hart. But the fact of the matter is they also might not have just liked the offer in the first place. And it's not completely understandable or it's, I kind of understand what they're looking at simply because they're three young guys who, while they have a lot of potential, they really haven't shown a lot of that potential. And I can understand not wanting them. I mean, the Kuzma is the one that everyone points to and they're like, Oh, Kuzma is honestly more valuable than Ingram. And Kuzma has been more offensively consistent than Ingram and Lonzo, which is a fair point. But at the same time, his defense is just bad. And like they try to play him at center a lot and he can't do that. He just can't do it. And now granted the Pelicans wouldn't have to play him at center, but it's not like his defense power forward is certainly anything either. Like, I don't think he can be one of your best players and on a serious contending team just because his defense is so bad. Um, Lonzo is actually much better on defense than anybody ever expected him to be. It's it's actually kind of ridiculous how much better he is on defense than any expectations were for him. But, I mean, he's hurt right now. He's been hurt a lot the last two years. And he's shooting 41% from the free throw line. He's shooting, honestly, worse than Fultz was. That That's not true, actually. But he's not shooting well at all. And that's a serious red flag for a team that would – he was supposed to be the – not the crown jewel, but he was like the flashiest of all these guys. And he's the worst of the three. 
So if you're the Pelicans, especially why would you want him there? Especially when LeVar Ball is finally creeping out of the woodwork and going, oh no, I don't want my kid to play in New Orleans. Well, like, why would you trade for somebody who doesn't want to go there? Especially LeVar Ball hasn't been saying much the last few months, I would say, because LeBron's there and he doesn't want to mess anything up with uh, LeBron and Lonzo, right? That's perfectly understandable. But when LeVar has no reason to keep quiet, I don't think it's uh, reasonable to expect him to stay quiet. And I can't imagine that's something New Orleans would want to deal with either. So that's one piece that you definitely just don't want to trade for. And Kuzma is a solid player, but I don't think he's a great one by any means. And then that leads us to Ingram, who I really like Ingram's potential. I still think he can be pretty good, but there's some worrying signs. And one of the most important ones is that he is averaging 0.5 three-point attempts made a game. He's averaging... Less than one made three pointer a game. He's just not, he's not even taking them. I think it's, I think I saw like as of last week, he'd made like 21 total threes. He's just not taking anything. He's just meanders into these long twos and he's still not strong enough to really finish all that well. And that affects his defense too because he can get bullied really easily. And while it's still easy to see that he can improve and become the star that everyone expected him to, there's still a lot of stuff about his development that is A, not a sure thing and B, kind of worrying. So in, in addition to those three guys that I've just talked about, their four first round picks that they were allegedly, allegedly asking for, they wouldn't even be that good. If you have LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same team, at minimum, they're going to be making a Western Conference Finals theoretically almost every year. So how good are those picks really going to be? They're like fake first round picks almost. Now, granted, they would be unprotected, which would be nice, but still, it doesn't matter if they're unprotected, if they're still going to be in like the high 20s. So... Um, it's tough for the Lakers because obviously the Pelicans didn't want to deal with them, but they might not have liked their pieces anyways. The problem for the Pelicans, however, is that now that they they've pushed this off and they've waited until the summer, they might not get an offer like this again. Like the offer might be worse if they already don't like it. The, the only, um, the only real way I can see the Lakers putting up an offer similar to this again is if the Celtics offer Tatum in a, in a bidding war, but with all the the uncertainty around whether Kyrie uh, resigns or if they need to trade for Anthony Davis to keep Kyrie, th- it's no sure thing that they would even include Tatum because they might need Tatum for the future. Um, it, now there are some interesting uh, other interesting factors in this, in that the Clippers might suddenly be able to make a run. They uh, I'm going to talk about the Clippers a lot more later, but they've certainly got more assets. They have the cap space. the The Miami pick is still looking really nice that they just got from Philadelphia. So they might be able to ratchet up too. But as of right now, the Lakers offer is only going to get worse. So, I mean, I really don't see the Lakers getting Anthony Davis in this trade. They would have to wait until 2020. But at that time, if Anthony Davis is either in LA with the Clippers or on a winning team like Boston or maybe some other dark horse that we haven't thought of yet, he might just stay. And then this would all be for nothing. And it's it that'd be kind of concerning. I feel like for the Lakers because uh, a lot of people just say, "Oh, well, they can get one of the other eight thousand stars that are available this free agency," but they're really not the favorites to get any of them. I mean, we don't know where Boogie's going to end up, but Boogie's not a sure thing with with his Achilles. Clay is most likely going to stay in uh, Golden State. Kawhi is linked to the Raptors or the Clippers. KD's linked to the Knicks. Um, Chris Middleton might just stay in Milwaukee. We don't know. There's a lot of these guys are 
really haven't been linked to LA, at least in terms of them being the front runners for anybody. So they could end up with nobody and just simply banking on the fact that uh, Anthony Davis is willing to leave in free agency in 2020. Cause otherwise the only real free agent available to them is Draymond, which I can assure you Draymond is probably not going to go and play with LeBron or should I say LeBron is not going to want Draymond to come play on this team. Um, so LA has got to be a little nervous right now. I guess we're going to see how things uh, shake out with them. But if I was an LA fan, I'd, I'd be, I'd be hoping that uh, these three guys develop and either increase their trade value or just become good players that are able to play with LeBron. Uh, one last quick thing about the Pelicans here. The Pelicans are a really difficult spot now for the rest of the season. I'm, I'm curious as to how it's going to play out because you know Anthony Davis will be gone by the end of the summer. Like They are not going to wait until the middle of the 2019-2020 season to trade Anthony Davis. So when you know he's leaving, you want him to not play so you can get a better draft pick so you can help rebuild for the future. However, the if he is healthy, like he says he is, and we just saw him play last night, the NBA will not let him just sit for all of these games. He's too good. He's too much, too marketable of a player for the Pelicans to just sit him out and blatantly tank in front of everybody. And we just saw the, the NBA office just tell the Pelicans, you have to play him at least 25 minutes a night if he's healthy. And they did, they played him 25 minutes last night and he was awesome. And they ended up, they won that game and it's another game that's going to hurt them in the standings. Um, so th- they're really getting, they're kind of getting screwed over here. Uh, what I really see happening though is, He'll like strain a calf or he'll have some minor injury and they'll blow it up and they'll just shut him down for the year. But until we get to that point, it's going to be kind of tough for the Pelicans. And I, I feel I feel for him because there's really not a lot they can do in this situation. Um, but they're just they're going to try and do what's best for them. Um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll talk about uh, the Philly side of some of these deals. So obviously there are two major trades that Philly was involved in this week or not this weekend, this week. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Fultz one first. The, so Fultz was traded to the Orlando magic for an Oklahoma city top 20 protected first round pick, a second round pick from Cleveland and Jonathan Simmons. So obviously you would want more in a, under normal circumstances for the a number one overall pick in the second year of his contract. But unfortunately for the Sixers, I can't think of anyone whose trade value is lower than Markel Fultz's, and it's at the lowest possible point it could be. And it, it sucks for Philly. I, it sucks for Fultz. I mean, obviously, he, he seems to be like a really good kid who works hard, but I think there's, there's some problems. You know, it seems like there's some problems with his agent, maybe his mom being a little overbearing, and the whole weird injury thing that I don't even think exists. It's, it's going to go down as one of the most bizarre situations in league history with, and certainly with a Kawhi trade for the, one of the most strange of this uh, season, last few seasons here. Um, but I mean, Philly got off of his contract, but they were able to get some decent stuff in return. Um, that first rounder, they actually, they gave away uh, or they, they had originally because they traded Jerry and Grant to the Oklahoma uh, to Oklahoma, and then they gave it to Orlando for, I believe, the draft rights to some European player who they never even ended up using. So they get that pick back, which essentially replaces the 2021st that they got rid of in the um, 
Tobias Harris trade, which I'm going to get to in like five minutes or so. So that really is kind of like a, a wash for them. That doesn't really do anything in the grand scheme of things. The, the Cleveland pick is kind of interesting because that'll wind up being probably the 32nd or 33rd pick. So it's basically like a, a low first rounder in terms of value, which is actually kind of nice. They've been restocking their, uh, their group of seconds that they had when Hinky was in charge. So the hope is that they'll be able to use those in the future for maybe some bench players when they need them for certain playoff runs and stuff. So that's not bad. Um, Jonathan Simmons also helps because, I mean, he really hasn't been that good this year. He's been hurt. His defense has been kind of eh. His shooting's been off. But I think when you're in a a system, a more winning system like you have with the Sixers right now, he might be able to thrive a little bit more when there's uh, less expectations on him. And he's also on a really cheap contract, which is nice because – I'm going to get to it in a little bit, but the the Sixers need all the money they can get. And having a, a cheap player on your roster that you have under control for at least a year or two after this season is certainly helpful. And that's really the biggest plus of this Fultz trade is that the Sixers were able to get off his money. I mean, he's still, he's a rookie, or he's not a rookie, but he's on his rookie contract. But as the number one overall pick, he costs $9 million against the salary cap. Um, and if you're not going to play him, if he's at best going to be your third string point guard behind TJ McConnell, you can't be paying him $9 million. You need that 9 million for a bench piece or more of the max money towards Butler and Harris or anything. So what, when you go from literally burning cap space for no reason to freeing it up for a few picks and everything, that's not bad. Now the magic get the chance to, have him uh, start anew with no expectations really and just time to develop and get healthy and or whatever's going on with him. And I don't think it's that bad. Like he showed flashes this year of being able to be a a ball dominant backup point guard. Like when he's handling the ball, he can run a use a unit reasonably effectively. Like he's not going to spot up for you on the wing. Clearly he's not going to shoot for whatever reason. But if he's got the ball in his hands, he can run a unit reasonably well. His passing was already really good. He was moving with energy. His defense was inconsistent, but there were still flashes there where he was actually pretty solid. He took over a few quarters of games. Like He he will be able to contribute to an NBA team, just not to the very high expectations that come with being a number one pick. He could be He can be a backup point guard in a year. I really think he can be. So the Magic get the chance to try and rehabilitate him and who knows, maybe even recover his shot as unlikely as that seems. So obviously it sucks for Philly that they had to do this, but knowing that they had to do it and getting it done, I think was a smart move by Elton Brand, finally just cutting your losses rather than uh, making this prog- uh, this situation drawn out. So I'm going to switch over to the Tobias Harris trade real quick. And... I actually, I was kind of surprised because this happened at, I think, 2.30 in the morning. And I woke up and it was the first thing I saw. And as a Sixers fan, I was I was pretty excited for it, actually. Um, it was a little, uh, not something I really expected, but it was uh, pretty cool. Now, immediately, the you can see where this benefits the Sixers. I mean, Tobias Harris is astronomically better than Wilson Chandler. And, I mean, he's still a good shooter. He can initiate his own offense. He's fine on defense. He's... Uh, at worst, the ultimate stretch four. And it's really going to help them compared to the inconsistency they had with Muscala and Wilson Chandler. And it's re- it's going to be really excited. I mean, we saw um, Friday night, the Sixers on their fir- in their first game with Embiid sick, they played the Nuggets. And that starting five was just crazy. Because, I mean, your, your worst player 
in the Sixers starting lineup now is JJ Redick, who happens to be one of the best shooters that's ever existed. So they they have a lot of offense in this. And the defense is while Redick isn't is not good and uh Tobias Harris is fine, the other three guys are so good on defense that they can certainly make up for that. So I think the the star talent in a lot of cases is going to be able to just win over games in spite of what some might view as a weak bench. Um but in addition to immediately boosting the starting lineup they have with Tobias Harris, they also got some solid bench pieces in there. Uh, Boban is Boban's great. Like we, people love making Boban jokes and everything about how he's the best player of all time, whatever, which, uh, you know, they're pretty funny, but he's just uh, like hands down. He's a good backup center. I mean, the dude is enormous. There are certain matchups. He's obviously not gonna be able to play like, because he just can't go out to the perimeter and do much, but when you need to play him 10, 15 minutes a game when Embiid needs a rest, that's perfectly fine, given that to Boban. We're going to get into that later, but I mean, when you're going up against Marcus Gasol and Embiid needs a break, Boban will be able to fill in just fine. Um, and Mike Scott is pretty good, too. I mean, he's kind of had a down year, but he's at worst the same as Wilson Chandler, which is more consistent, and he can even be a little bit better. He shoots 40% from three, so he can help them, too, a little bit, kind of under the radar there. So the Sixers, really, they got some nice pieces out of this deal. And uh, obviously, it's they're going to have to go into the tax if they really want to max out Butler and Harris. But I think they said the ownership's willing to do that. And if Butler leaves, now they have Harris. So it's uh, it, it's a pretty interesting deal. I'm going to talk about the East playoff race a little bit later. But I think that this really could vault Philly up into that um, Western Conference final finals territory. I'm not saying it guarantees it, but certainly does not hurt them. So on on the Clippers side of this. And Clippers got a pretty good deal here, too. Um, Landry Shamit, I love Landry Shamit. He was shooting, I think, 41% from three. He's His defense isn't that great, but, I mean, he tries hard, and you can see him getting a little bit better. And his, his ball handling is pretty good, too. So, I mean, he's a, a nice pick for them to build forward with in the future on a cheap contract. Sucks to see him go, but <coughs> I think the Clippers will make a, some good use of him. The... Uh, and like I said earlier, the Sixers gave them their first round pick, but once they get the Oklahoma City pick back, it's not like they're missing anything. But the Miami pick is pretty good. <clears throat> Obviously, we don't know how good Miami's going to be in two years, but an unprotected pick, if there's a chance that they're not that great, that could be a pretty valuable pick. And I don't think the Clippers really plan on using it. I think they're really going to try and use that more for an Anthony Davis package, which like I said before, it's going to make things interesting because now they have a couple picks and they have their own pick and everything. They really might be able to make a solid run at Davis this off season. And because they don't, they know they don't have to offer Tobias Harris any money. They can theoretically sign another star too. They could be looking at Kawhi and Anthony Davis going into 2019 season. Not that I'm picking that like right now or anything, but it could happen. Um, so their, uh, their outlook this season is kind of, um, uh, they're kind of done this year. I think uh, they they owe their pick to Boston unless they're in the lottery, in which case they don't. And then next year, I believe it's also lottery protected, and then it would be two seconds. So this year, I think the goal is to sneak out of the playoffs. They're in the eighth seed right now, but they can slip under that if the Kings are really going to push, which I'm going to talk about later. So they can probably hit the uh, one of the lower the higher or lower lottery spots maybe uh, get the chance to sneak up a few picks, get a reasonably talented player, and then try and load up with superstars this summer uh, and then go into the season with a, a completely different roster than what they had going in. So 
the the future's looking bright for the Clippers. I think that Jerry West is just a god among men in terms of making these personnel decisions. He's been fantastic in Golden State, and he's been, done an awesome job clearing up the Clippers too. So I'd be pretty happy if I was a Clippers fan. And as a Sixers fan, I'm pretty happy myself with the upside of Tobias Harris and getting rid of Fultz. And I think they've Elton Brand has really endeared himself to me as a that first-time general manager. He's, he's doing a lot of really aggressive and cool things, and it might not all pan out, but it's the right process. <laughs> so I'm going to take a quick break. You'll hear a word from our sponsors, then we'll get on to some of the other trades. I'm going to talk about the, the Harrison Barnes trade by itself, and then I think I'm going to end the, the episode with the, the two other big trades in the East, um, just so I, I can end on that kind of note. Um, so the Harrison Barnes thing was interesting. It was really the only major trade uh, other than the Kristaps thing, but that was really last week. So the, the Harrison Barnes thing was really the only significant um, trade that the West made. I'm not really going to count uh, Iman Shumpert going to the Rockets as something super significant. Um, I like this trade for both sides, uh, on the Sacramento side, uh, the, they clearly, they want to make the playoffs. I mean, they've been a, a tortured fan base for a really long time. And I think any opportunity that you have to be somewhat relevant again, and maybe make some extra money with those home playoff games, it might be kind of worth it, especially when you want to develop your guys and give them a taste of what the playoffs is like, even if it's just going to be getting swept by the Warriors and not really being all that competitive. And I mean, Harrison Barnes can play a solid role on this team. I mean, he was always overpaid, and he was asked to do way too much for the Mavericks. He's clearly, he's shown. I mean, he's not the number one guy. He'll just take pretty much every shot by himself, not do a ton to elevate his teammates and anything. But, I mean, he was on that Warriors team that won a championship and was almost won the second one. He can be a solid third or fourth option on offense. I mean, he's playing with uh, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley. He can play with those guys just fine as long as he's not demanding touches over all three of them. Um, yeah, and I mean, Sacramento is on the they, – they've got a lot of positive momentum coming their way. Bagley's been working his way back. And with the Clippers seemingly bowing out of the playoff race, the it really comes down to Sacramento, uh, the Spurs, and the Lakers. And I don't think it's really all that crazy to suggest that the Kings can leap in over one of those two teams. Because uh, obviously with uh, Derek White out, the Spurs have been kind of struggling. And I mean, when they've been relying so much on their bench production, I don't know if that's something that you can expect to continue for very long. And the Lakers, I mean, LeBron's back. I don't, I don't want to doubt LeBron. I'm not. I don't want to be on record saying that a team led by LeBron James is not going to miss the playoffs. Because when it comes down to it, if LeBron needs to flip that switch towards the end of the regular season and save them to get them in the playoffs, he'll do it. Like it's just what's going to happen. So. If I had to guess, I think I'd probably say the Lakers and the Kings can make the playoffs, and I really do think that that's something that the Kings can do. Um, it was interesting to see them use their cap space that way because they were really the only team that had significant cap space right now, and they could have totally just said to any of these teams, like, hey, uh, if you have a bad contract you want to get rid of or something, you can just give them to us and we'll um, we'll take a pick or something for the these next few years here so we can really uh, load up again. But instead, what they did was they went and gave stuff for a guy who, and granted, the contract's not great. I mean, he's owed $25 million this year and next year. So it's not like he's on any decent contract or anything. But he's still a decent player that they had to give up an asset for. Um, so I'm going to get into that side of it 
in one second. But overall, the, I like Harrison Barnes fit on the Kings. And I, I think they're going to make the playoffs. And it's going to be interesting and in how they approach this offseason and everything. But I think they could actually be a pretty solid team over the next few years here. <clears throat> On to the um, the Dallas side of things. This is really great for them because Harrison Barnes, like I said, he was on it. He was shooting the ball too much, and once you have him and Tim Hardaway Jr. on the same team, do you really need both of them? Because I mean, once they get the ball, they're pretty much just going to shoot the whole time. Um, they both kind of fit like a pretty similar role. So once you get one of the, um, you don't need to be paying both of those guys a ton of money to really do the same thing. But that being said. Now that they have Harrison Barnes gone, they have enough cap space for a max free agent this offseason. They could theoretically, they can grab one of these guys. Now, I don't think they're going to be the front runners to get any of them. The only one I think that they could definitely get is Boogie, but I don't think you would do that just because the fit is too weird with him and uh, Porzingis, just because uh, neither of them are great perimeter defenders. And so you, you really wouldn't be able to play them both at the same time, and that fit would just be kind of weird. But they, they can get a max free agent if they want. Maybe they can do their best to try and lure a Chris Middleton or somebody down there who might be willing to take all that money that they can give them. And the the haul, was, it wasn't anything spectacular. I mean, I, they waived Zach Randolph, I'm pretty sure, already. But uh, Justin Jackson is a, a decent prospect. He's He was awesome his last year in college, and his, his floater still translated pretty well over to the pros. But, I mean, he's in... He's got some inconsistencies, but I mean, his uh, he's a pretty solid three and D guy who I think as he gets better will actually be able to contribute as long as he's on that cheap contract. So overall, I really like this deal for both teams. Um, I think Dallas is Dallas obviously isn't going to try and make a move this year because Porzingis isn't going to play or anything. But I think they've set themselves up nicely for next year. I think they're going to be able to make some noise in the Western Conference. So I'm going to take another quick break, then I'm going to go on to my last two trades. So here come the really interesting trades with uh, these next two trades and the Tobias Harris trades were my favorite trades of the the deadline this year. And I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about these because there's a lot of really cool stuff that comes out of them. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is Nikola Miritich getting traded to the Bucks in return for four second round picks. And it just goes to show you the impact of having all these second rounders like I was talking about with Philly because you really you can get some solid role players like this. Um I think New Orleans actually they got a pretty good deal for um, a guy who was on an expiring contract. So Milwaukee really only gets him for the next thirty games or so. But and the seconds are pretty good. The uh, two of them are Washingtons, and with Washington seemingly packing it in uh, with the Jabari trade, which I didn't really want to talk about because I don't really care about what the Wizards and Bulls are doing right now. Um, those could like the that Cavs second round pick that the Sixers have. Those could be basically low first round picks. Uh, over the next year or two. So uh, not a bad haul for New Orleans. Uh, nice job, Dell Demps. Um, even if you can't get the Anthony Davis trade done or whatever, at least you can get a few second round picks. Um, so I, I have in my notes here, just the, the first thing I put down is with this trade is Milwaukee is terrifying, which is is true and terrifies me as a fan of another team in the Eastern Conference because Milwaukee was already just, an absolute destroyer of worlds this season. And then they add a guy who can make a pretty sizable impact on this team. I would not enjoy playing Milwaukee over the next few months here, especially once Miritich really uh, gets his, uh, gets settled into the system here. Um, he, he fits Bud's system perfectly. 
I mean, he can uh, he can play some pretty decent defense, and he's shooting, I think, 38% from three. And I he's going to fit right in with this offense. I mean, he unlocked Anthony Davis as a center last year. His, his talent is – the talent's there, and I think it's going to work out pretty well. The um, the thing that scares me the most is the, the lineups that they can do now that they have him there. And what I mean by that is they're really, like – really going to be able to play Giannis at the five now, like a reasonable amount, especially in the playoffs. And that scares the ever-loving crap out of me because we saw in the playoffs last year with Giannis at five against the Celtics, there were no stopping these units. Like you you obviously cannot play Giannis at the five all the time just because you want to keep him healthy and everything. But it's still just an absolute nightmare to defend when you have three guys or four guys that can shoot around Giannis banging down low. And Miritich over Brooke Lopez is perfect because Brooke Lopez has been shooting the lights out this year. He's been awesome, but he's not a real mobile dude and he can't really play a stretch four next to Giannis at center in the way that Miritich can. Like Miritich is a legitimate stretch four. Lopez is more of a five who can kind of moonlight like out in the three point line and everything. So this just, it makes him even more unstoppable. Like now you truly do if you put Giannis at center, you have four guys who can spread the floor and give Giannis as much room as he can get in the paint, which is just unfair. And so this is why I still think the, um, with the Tobias Harris trade and the Marcus Gasol trade I'm going to get to, I still think Milwaukee's going to get to the, the finals just because Giannis is going to be so ungodly great once the playoffs really get lo- uh, get going and Bud kind of unleashes his scheme wizardry upon everybody. So I'm really feeling the Bucks. I think this was an awesome move to make, even if you probably won't be able to keep them past this year. The uh, the offseason for them is going to be really interesting because so many of their guys aren't going to be under contract anymore. But I think they're really going to do the best to uh, make the most of what they have here and convince Giannis, hey, you can win here. You can stay here. We don't need another Anthony Davis situation. So great job by the Bucks on this one here. And then the next trade, obviously, is Mar- the Marcus All trade for the Raptors. It's kind of a weird trade because like Marcus all can still, he can still contribute. Like there's a reason why they traded for him and the Grizz and like the Grizzlies wanted to trade him actively, but he's still a decent basketball player. And the Raptors really didn't give up a ton to get him. They gave up DeLon Wright, CJ miles and a second round pick. And last year, like this would have been a great deal because the Toronto's bench was playing so well, but this year, it's been pretty terrible and those guys haven't been awesome. So unless they love the second round pick or they think there's some untapped potential in both of these guys, it's not like Memphis got anything near the value of a first round pick or anything. So kind of weird on that. I think Memphis really just wanted to get him out of there. I think Marcus all wanted to get out of there. Um, still kind of weird. Um, I like the fit too. Um, because, Oh, and Jonas Valanciunas also went out, which I forgot about. He's a pretty nice player. Um, but you, you can see where the improvement is. I mean, Marcus all is a much better passer and he's more consistent shooting like long range than Valanciunas was. And the, uh, there might be some chemistry issues with, uh, Ibaka and Siakam because Ibaka had really been playing, uh, he'd been playing some center, but you can't really play Ibaka, Gasol and Siakam all at the same time just because they're a little too slow and uh, Ibaka's not a great defender anymore. But so we you might run into some problems there. I don't really – it's going to be kind of hard to tell 
Gasol and Ibaka that they have to go to the bench after everything they've done in their entire career. But Siakam, who I guess would be the most open to it, has been better than both of them this season. So I don't really know why you would bench him just because he's been so good. So that might be a problem. I doubt it will be just because, look, I mean, when it, it comes down to it, these guys are going to figure it out. They're going to want to win. I think they'll figure out something that works. I have no doubt that Nick Nurse is going to be able to smooth things out and make sure that the transition is as comfortable as possible here for Mark. Um, the most important thing with this trade, though, and it's what terrifies me as a Sixers fan, is they have a legitimate Embiid stopper. Like, obviously, uh, JV was... He was able to give Embiid some problems, but it wasn't like he was completely stopping him or anything. Gasol has manhandled Embiid like all the time when they play. There really aren't. There's not. It's not like there's a ton of guys that really stop Embiid, other than like when Embiid's conditioning uh, is a factor or like he gets sick. Mark Gasol is really the only guy I can think of off the top of my head that consistently just shuts Embiid down. Like Embiid just, he can't get anything going against Marcus Gasol for whatever reason. I think Gasol just hasn't figured out. And that's a real problem for a team like Philly. When Toronto gets this guy who is his, one of his best jobs right now is just shutting down your best player. Now, granted, that's the whole point of the Tobias Harris trade is that even if Embiid has a night off or something, you have a guy like Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, or Jimmy Butler who can go off at the same time. So I, I think this was a really smart move by Toronto. I'm not saying that they only did this because Marcus Gasol can deal with Embiid because Gasol is just a good player anyways. But I, that's certainly a factor that I think was con- that was considered when they thought about trading for him. Um, and this is all just leading to the second round of the Eastern playoffs is going to be so much fun because I, I don't want to count Indiana out or anything, but without Oladipo, your top four teams are going to be Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, and Philly. And obviously we don't know how the seeding's totally going to work out. It could very well be um, Boston and Philly in the first round, Boston, and Milwaukee. We don't know, but those four teams are going to be playing. Two of those teams have to miss the conference finals, which is crazy because all four of these teams are, they're pretty good. And it's going to be interesting to see because they all have these different things that make them great. The Sixers are just hoping that all of the star power they have is enough to just overwhelm everybody. Toronto has a ton of defense, and they have arguably the best defensive player in Kawhi Leonard. Milwaukee has Giannis, the absolute freak, and a great system around him that's encouraging all the role players to do really well. And then the Celtics have Kyrie Irving and Brad Stevens, who, I mean, that's a pretty good combo right there. Now, if I'm of these four teams, I'd probably be most nervous if I'm the Celtics, simply because... Even though they've given Philly a ton of problems, they really haven't played them at home a ton, and the um, they haven't played the the new look Sixers with uh, a decent bench and Tobias Harris. So we really don't know if Philly can give them a ton of trouble yet. And outside of Kyrie, nobody else has really been playing super well. So I think they'd have a ton of trouble with teams with a lot of talent like Kawhi and or Toronto and Milwaukee. So. It's going to be so much fun to see how that goes. I, I'd obviously I'd want to see a little bit more of Philly before I can really uh, say if I think they're going to be able to get to that Eastern Conference Finals or not. But it's going to be a lot of fun regardless. Those are going to be whatever two series those end up being. They're going to be a really fun two series, and I'm really looking forward to the playoffs. So we're going to take another quick break, and then I'm going to wrap things up. Just want to give you guys a quick reminder that the Austin and Steve Experiment is available on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and seven other podcasting services. 
So be sure to look for us. Um, give us a nice review. Uh, share us with your friends. Subscribe. And uh, yeah. So like I said, uh, this trade deadline was really fun. And there were a lot of really cool stuff that went on. And it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm going to have another episode out for the All-Star break. Uh, Austin and I will talk about like our midseason awards and kind of break down how we think the stretch run is going to impact everything here. Um, so we got some stuff we got to do over the next few weeks, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, just want to, uh, say really quickly, uh, after I put out this episode, I'm going to get, we're going to get over 500 total listens, which is really, really cool. When Austin and I started this in the summer, I really didn't think anybody was going to really care, but I mean, 500 total listens, that's, that's something I'm pretty proud of. And I want to thank all you guys for listening and telling other people about it. And just, just thanks guys. It's been really fun. I'm glad that, uh, people are supporting it. So I'll get one, uh, an episode out next week. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll see you then.